thankful hope, but you have promised that you will fulfill it, that it will happen, that these things will take place, and you will be honored and glorified, and we will be cared for for all of eternity. We just ask this morning as we quiet our hearts before the word that you will speak to us, that we will hear your voice, and we will know the truth, and that we might experience your grace and your freedom in our hearts and lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, whoop, I just, this is going real smoothly here. Sorry about that. I was going to pull it up a little higher, but maybe I won't. Anyway, is there anybody else uh, that is finding it hard to believe that 2020 is almost over? How many people are just so thankful that 2020 is almost over? <laughs> With everything that's gone on around us, um, I, I'm pretty happy about it. Uh, thank you, Glenn. Maybe we'll try that one so it doesn't fall apart in the middle of the service. I appreciate that. Uh, I was just doing a little, you know, year in review here a little while ago. We did, I, I don't know if anybody remembers this, but we were actually at the high school having church for 12 weeks at the beginning of this year. And then we had eight weeks of video church and five weeks of drive-in and 15 weeks of uh, camp chair church. And this is our ninth week of being here in the greenhouse, if you can believe it, and the second week of having two services, and I'm having a hard time keeping up, and that's why I told you to make sure to pay attention to your app so you can keep up with everything that's going on. But in the midst of all this, while we've been doing this, we've been having the series, The Whole Story, and we started in Genesis, and we're making our way through the whole Bible. We took a five-week break for our Rooted series, and thank you once again for how you have responded to that and, and continue to over the next couple of years. Uh, but this is our 21st week walking through the Bible, starting in Genesis, and making our way one book at a time. And we've been introduced to all these characters as we've done that. Abraham, and Moses, and David, and Esther, and Job, and, and so many others. And we saw so many of these folks who loved God, who believed God, who trusted Him, and were living their lives to honor Him. And yet, have you noticed there were so many of them that didn't really know where they were in God's timeline. They believed that God had a plan, but they, they didn't know what was coming next. They didn't know what he was going to do or how it was all going to happen. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that they were waiting, just like we are, for the unfolding of God's plan. They didn't know what was coming next, and we don't always know what's coming next. When we have a year like we've had lately, we wonder nervously, right, what's coming next? What else is going to happen? And we don't know what it is that God is going to do. We wonder about the timeline, but we have a tremendous advantage that Abraham and David and Moses and all those guys didn't have. Do you know what it is? Does anybody know what that advantage is? We've seen a lot of God's promises already come true, haven't we, in our own lives. And we've seen so many of these prophecies that we can look at in the Old Testament, they've already happened. And what was the most wonderful promise of all? 
that Israel had been waiting for for hundreds and thousands of years. He w- they were waiting for the Messiah. And that has come true. We know that it has happened that Jesus was born. That is such a huge part of the glorious unfolding of God's plan of redemption. And over the next three Sundays, we're going to look at Isaiah and Jeremiah and Lamentations. And as they were writing those books several thousand years ago, they were looking around, and do you know what they were seeing? They weren't seeing good things happening. They were seeing all of these terrible things that were taking place, but they still held on to hope. We'll see it. We'll look at it. Even though everything was un- that was crumbling around them, they were hopeful. Now let me ask you this. What do you see when you look at our world right now? What do you see when you look at our country? Do you see good things happening? Do you see stability? Do you see justice? Do you see blessing? Not really, do we? We see a lot of terrible things that are happening right now. But I want to suggest to you this morning, I want to encourage you that despite what we are seeing out there around us, we too can have hope. The Messiah has come once, but he will come again. See, that's our hope. Several thousand years ago, Isaiah was hopeful because he knew the Messiah was coming. We know he has come, but we can have hope that he is coming again. And the whole story continues because the Messiah is the one who fulfills God's purpose. And I want you to understand that the promise is not just a baby. The promise is everything that we have ever needed. And God's plan unfolds in the person of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, let's go to Isaiah. So we're in week 21 of our study through the, through the whole Bible. And we're in Isaiah. Now, if you're paying attention, is anybody paying attention? Is anybody realizing that we have skipped two books? I'm surprised. Steve is on it. We did something a little, you know, we switched something the other day, and Steve was like right on it. He was texting and calling and wondering what in the world was going on. Thought we had cut a couple of books out of our Bibles. We didn't. We're going to get to Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon after Christmas. But right now, we're going to look at Isaiah. And Isaiah is sharing God's message of judgment for sin. Israel had walked away from God. We've seen that, haven't we, in some of these other, some of the historical books in First and Second Chronicles and First and Second Kings. They'd walked away from God, and because they walked away from God, there was going to be captivity. There was going to be punishment and judgment. And some of the things that Isaiah wrote were fulfilled in his lifetime. Some of the things that he wrote were fulfilled a few hundred years after he had died, and some of the things, as we'll see this morning, still haven't been fulfilled yet. So Isaiah writes of judgment and captivity, but he also writes of rescue. So look at Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 1. Let me read the first five verses for you. 
quickly, and then we're going to focus on 6 and 7. Verse 1 says, There will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, he's describing Israel there. Zebulon and Naphtali were two of the sons of Jacob who became tribes of Israel. So he's saying there has been anguish for them, but in the latter time, in other words, in the future, he will make their people glorious. Look at verse 2. Listen to the switch. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelled in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Verse 4, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. He's describing their bondage here. The yoke that was binding them, that was enslaving them is going to be broken. And the rod with which they were ruled, is broken. Look at verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult or battle dress and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So Isaiah has prophesied great judgment and great pain, but now he is promising them that one day the pain will be taken away. And there will be light, and there will be healing, and there will be deliverance. Why is that going to happen? How is that going to happen? Look at verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So what is our key thought this morning? It's this, the plan of God unfolds in the person of Jesus. The promises of God are fulfilled in his person. And I want you to see very simply, we have two promises here. Here's the first one in verse 6. The promise of who Jesus is. Who is he going to be? Well, it says that a child is born and a son is given. So I think probably most of you know this already, but Jesus was born as a baby. He was human with a physical body. We read that story in Luke 2, don't we? That's what we're celebrating right now, that Jesus was born. Mary became pregnant by a miracle of the Holy Spirit. She gave birth to a baby. She cared for a baby. Jesus was human, 100% human. The Bible tells us in, in the book of Hebrews that he was tempted in every way that we are, except that he didn't sin. I want you to notice Isaiah's wording here. 
the child was born, but the son was what? What does it say? The son was given. Why does that matter? It matters for this reason. Jesus in his humanity, his human body, was born as a child, but as the Son, he already existed. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, had existed from before time began. In fact, John and Paul in the book of Colossians both tell us that Jesus was the one who created the world. John 1, 3, all things were made by him, and by him was not anything made that was made. So the child, the human body of Jesus, was born on that day in Bethlehem, but the son, he was sent. He was given because he already existed. What does this mean? Why does it matter? It matters because Jesus Christ 100% human and 100% divine is a person like no other. He is the one that can do what no one else can do. And that's what we're going to see here in just a few moments as we continue to look. So what is his name? The promise of who Jesus is. He's the child. He's the son. But what is his name? First of all, he's called Wonderful Counselor. The word wonderful here means astonishing. It means extraordinary. It means that everything about Jesus is exceptional, including his counsel, including his wisdom, including his understanding and his guidance. He is also called Mighty God. Why is he called Mighty God? Well, because he is Jesus, he is God, and all the power of the Godhead rests in Jesus. He is called Everlasting Father. Sometimes that's confusing to us. If it's Jesus' Son, why is he called the Father? We need to understand that this phrase, Everlasting Father, literally means the Eternal One. It's not talking about his position in the Trinity. It's talking about the fact that he is, he is over all of eternity and he is everlasting again because he is God. And now I want you to notice lastly that he is called the Prince of Peace. The phrase Prince of Peace literally means the Chief of Peace or the Captain of Peace. What does that mean? It means he's the one that's in charge. He's the one that's in charge of creating peace and maintaining peace. So the promise of who Jesus is is this. He'll be born as a human baby, but he is God himself, possessing all the wisdom and power and authority and strength and perspective of God. Now let's pause here just for a second before we look at the next verse because we need to understand something about all of this, about who Jesus is. He is these things for this world. And boy, does this world need it, right? But he is also these things for you. This promise is for the whole world that they would know who Jesus is, that we would see his power and his peace in this world, and I can't wait for that day, but this is also for you. 
Are there times in your life when you wish you could see the power of God? Not in the world, not in this country, not in the state, but just in your life? Because you are struggling, because you are wrestling. There are certainly times we look out, like right now in our country, and say, I wish this country would have peace. But are there times in your heart in corners of your heart that no one else knows about, that you wish you could just have some peace. That's who Jesus is. This promise is not just for the whole world. It's for you. That's the promise of who Jesus is. Let's look at verse 7 and see the promise of what Jesus will do. Let me read that verse for you again. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Not only promised who Jesus is, but we're promised what he is going to do. What is he going to do, folks? What does that verse tell us he's going to do? He is going to lead. He's going to lead. Isaiah says here, his government. Now, when we read that verse, maybe the word that stands out to us is government. Because when we think of God, when I think of God, when I think of Jesus, I don't think of government. Why? Because I know what I think of when I think of government, right? How many people have something in their minds when they think of government? Yeah, of course. But I want you to put the emphasis on the word that comes before government, okay? His government. When Jesus returns, when the Messiah comes back, he's not going to step into this world's structure. He's going to set up his own. How is it described? Well, interestingly, we are told there will be no end to two things. When Jesus sets up his reign, there'll be no end to two things. Number one, there'll be no end to its increase, Isaiah says. The word there literally is abundance, and it carries with it the idea of actively increasing. That means when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom, his government, to use Isaiah's word, there will be no recessions. There will be no depressions. There will be no unemployment. There will always be blessing. There will always be abundance. There will always be enough for everyone, for all. No lack of provision. All will have everything they need. That is what will characterize God right now. What's happening right now? Everybody in this world's governmental system that we are living in is telling us we've got to do this 
so that everybody has enough. And in our country, what are there? Two sides, right? Two sides. One group is telling us we've got to do this so everyone will have, has enough. And the other side is telling us what? Just the exact opposite. This is what we have to do so that we have enough. Guess what, folks? They're both wrong. Because there will never be enough. There will never be abundance and blessing, not the way that Jesus promises when he sets up his kingdom. Is there a right and a wrong way to do things today? Absolutely. And we should strive for the right. And we must strive for the right. But ultimately, both systems will fail. Notice there will be no end not only to its increase, number one, but secondly, there will be no end to its peace. We already talked about our need for peace in this world, certainly. But can you imagine a world where there is no end to peace? I don't have the exact number in my head right now, but historians have told us in the last thousand years, there have been like a dozen years of peace in the world. Maybe a dozen scattered years through the centuries where there hasn't been war somewhere. But in Jesus' kingdom, there'll be no end to the peace. I want to pause right here for a moment and just talk about this word peace. It's a Hebrew word that I bet some of you will recognize when I say it. It's the word shalom. Shalom is an interesting word. It's an interesting concept in the Hebrew culture. And it's more than just freedom from conflict. It means completeness. It means soundness. It refers to a person's overall welfare. It's why the Jews even today will greet each other as they meet and salute each other as they part by saying shalom. What are they saying? They're saying may God's peace be upon you. May completeness characterize your life. May you experience welfare in every part of your life and family. It refers to the inner peace and the completeness that only Jesus can give. And we know that's what we lack, again, as a country, but also as individuals. There'll be no end to this in the kingdom of Jesus. He again uses the word government here. But we know that what Jesus does will be different Because of who he is. Let me ask you a question. I bet you know the answer to this, although you may not have thought about it this way. Why does human government fail? Humans. Human government fails because of humans. That's why no matter which side of the aisle you're on, it's ultimately going to fail. Because it's humans, it's run by humans, it's managed by humans. But this government will be different because of who he is. Who he is completely changes what he does. How is Jesus' reign further described as we wrap up what we're seeing here in this verse? It says, on the throne of David and over his kingdom. What did God promise David in 2 Samuel? When he became king, what did God promise him? He promised him this. David, your family, your throne 
will last, does anybody remember for how long? Forever. That's what God promised to David in 2 Samuel. Now, do you think David completely understood that? Do you think he completely understood how his family, his throne, was going to last forever? Remember, David was a man of war. There was no peace. How is my throne going to last forever because of all of this? He didn't understand all of it, but he believed it. And now, and this is how we want you to see as we go through God's word, this whole story. The promise to David in 2 Samuel, your kingdom, your family, your throne will last forever. And this promise by Isaiah several hundred years later, now we can see it, can't we? It has unfolded a little bit more for us than it did for David. It's possible for his kingdom to last forever because Jesus Christ, very God himself, is the one who is going to sit on the throne. What else did David prof- or Isaiah prophesy about the kingdom? He said it will be established and sustained by justice. Oh, I want justice in this world. I want those who are being treated unfairly to be cared for. And I want those who do evil and seemingly get away with it to be punished. That's not happening today. It's not happening. And no system can last without justice and righteousness. That's why ours is failing. But his kingdom will be established and sustained by justice. And then the final phrase, very quickly, the final phrase says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Literally, how is this going to happen? It's going to happen because the passion of Almighty God is to do this, is to fulfill his promise. It will happen. You see, friends... God's plan unfolds in the person of Jesus Christ. God's plan that we've been speaking of for six months, his plan is to glorify himself, display his grace by redeeming people, by redeeming you. And that all unfolds in Jesus. I want to read you a couple of verses this morning as we close They were referred to in the reading that was done just a little bit earlier. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. What's Paul saying? He's saying, what I'm telling you doesn't just have a chance of happening. (laughs) Maybe this will happen and maybe it won't. In him, that is in Jesus, it is always yes. Now listen to verse 20. This is one of my favorite verses. Listen to this. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All the promises of God find their yes in him. My friends, listen to me. 
this plan of God, the whole story, it's all about Jesus. This book, it's all about Jesus. What happens when he comes back is going to be all about him. Everything that God has promised us is found in Jesus, and you need to make a decision about Jesus. If you are here this morning, if you are watching this morning, and you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I say that to everyone here, even though I know everyone here, and I know that many of you have, this is not something to take for granted. This is not something that happens because my spouse is a believer in Jesus, or my parents are believers in Jesus, or my grandparents. This is an individual decision that I must make, that you must make, about Jesus Christ. And if you have trusted him as your only hope of salvation, can I challenge you this morning to live like you actually believe it? Because sometimes we trust him and then we walk our own way. You live in complete obedience to him. How will this world ever find peace? How will you ever find peace? Well, it won't be in our president no matter what happens in the next couple of months. Certainly will not be in our governor or the Senate or our income or lack of it. We will only ever find peace in King Jesus. He is the one. Now in order to do all of this, in order to provide for our redemption and our salvation, Jesus had to not only be born, but he had to die. I've been reading through the book of Matthew the last couple of months in my own quiet time, and the other day I was reading Matthew 27 of the torture and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He was roughly taken and bound. He was treated unjustly, unfairly. He was tortured. He was slapped. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was mocked. Seemingly all of these things were happening to him, but if you read through Matthew 27 and you get to the end, to verse 50, do you know what it says there? It says, Jesus yielded up his spirit. Do you know what, folks? Nothing happened to Jesus that he did not allow to happen. He was in complete control of all of that. And he very willingly gave his life for yours and for mine. We're going to pause and pray. As we do that, I'll invite you to take the cup this morning and the bread. Hopefully you got one when you came in this morning. If you didn't, there's a box back there. We can circulate it a little bit for you. And as the band leads us in a song, I would ask you to quiet your own heart before the Lord. And when you're ready, you can go ahead and eat the bread and drink the cup. And then we'll close together. Father, thank you so much for Jesus Christ. He is the one. He is the one in whom all things consist. And by whom all things are created. And we trust this morning as we open our hearts to you. That you will show us Jesus. 
that we might know his peace, that we might know the justice that comes only through him. We thank you for his sacrifice on the cross on our behalf. As we sing together, as we confess our sin before you, as we take this bread and as we take this cup as symbols of your body and blood, we give thanks and we rejoice looking ahead to the day in which Messiah will come again and establish his kingdom. Until then, Lord, strengthen us and be honored, we pray, by this celebration in Christ's name.